Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. Hello! Welcome to an amazing evening of Star Talk Live. It is my very great pleasure to bring to the stage Neil deGrasse Tyson! This evening, the topic will be the exploration of the solar system. Yeah. And I reached into my Rolodex, found one of my colleagues. He is actually a curator of astrobiology at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. He's an expert on the solar system, and he's worked on the Mars Curiosity rover. Give me a warm welcome for Dr. David Grinspoon. David! David, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here, I think. Get ready to science party. (laughs) And now I'd like to bring out the wonderful Sarah Silverman. (laughs) She brought her backpack in case there is studying to be done. Transitional object. And ladies and gentlemen, Jim Gaffigan. All right. Wait, before we begin, Jim, you came out with an album called Mr. Universe. That's right, I did. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Right. Just so you know. I'm an expert on everything in the universe. (laughs) Probably the smartest person here right now. (laughs) 
I'm not intimidated. I'm just saying. Before we begin, I consulted with your bartenders in the back bar, and there is a special drink tonight called the Martian Sunrise. And I confess the sunrise is just a little lemon that's hanging over the edge of the cup. So it looks like a little sunrise, but the drink is certainly red. So And a tiny bit of bacteria from Mars that will kill you within 10 seconds. <laughs> and you'll wake up with someone that looks like a Martian. <laughs> and you'll be able to jump really high. Exactly. It was good. It was good. It was good. Hey. We'll get to John Carter in a moment. Sorry. So, David, it was page one story. An SUV-sized rover was plunked down on Mars. Like, what's up with that? (laughs) Well, we're really glad it made it. Yeah, I was scared. I I said, this is not going to work. Yeah. Because you go nine months, and then... It wasn't just the airbags like the old ones did, right? That was scary, but I got accustomed to the airbag landing. This one, it had like heat shields and then a, a hypersonic drogue chute and then retro rockets and then a hoist crane. It was some Rube Goldberg would have designed. And I'm thinking, I don't want Rube Goldberg on Mars. Yeah. So. Yeah, with his okay videos. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just say what you mean? No Jews on yeah. Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make that t-shirt. I would wear it. Why does it have to be an SUV? I mean, I wish they would do something a little better for the environment. (laughs) Well, the last one was a Mini Cooper. Electric? Well, the last one was solar. This one's got nukes. Yeah, those those suck. So first of all, how confident were you that this whole sequence of landing devices would have worked? I wasn't confident at all. I was shitting bricks. The thing is... (laughs) I'm on the science side of this thing, so we've got our instruments. We want to get them onto the surface of Mars and go to interesting places so we can learn things. And the engineering side of it, those guys tell us, don't worry, this will work. And then we say, so how are you going to do it? And they describe this thing, you know, it's going to come in at hypersonic velocity and make these S-turns and then drop off the heat shield and there's a parachute and it's going to fire these rockets and then it's going to stop 50 meters up and hover and drop things down on this on a, on, a, on a hoist and we're like you got to be kidding me that's not going to work <laughs> and it was scary we were scared I, I was not confident at all and this sounds literally more complicated than making avatar <laughs> just to put it in perspective and even and even more expensive if you can believe that barely <laughs> wow so would you say like twice the cost of avatar <laughs> Actually, it was about 10 times the cost of Avatar. Now, but it you tell me if, if, if it's worth 10 times as much as Avatar. Um, I'm going to say yeah. yes. <laughs> I think we should measure everything in terms of the cost of Avatar. Yeah, yeah this drink is just like a fifth of Avatar. Yeah, we ca- we <laughs> yeah it's like... We call that the AU, the Avatar unit. The Avatar unit, yeah. So... So it landed on the Mars place. So, so, so it landed. <laughs> Back to where we were. Wait, uh, did you know that I had a private Twitter conversation mm-hmm. with the rover just before it landed? What do you <laughs> mean? I don't think what it was do you mean? the what? rover. Who said what? <laughs> Excuse me, I had a relationship. Meaning you tweeted the rover and the rover was like, hi, Neil. The rover tweeted. You know what? It was probably just some old guy pretending to be the rover. <laughs> it was like... Can't talk now. I'm about to go through seven minutes of terror. Seventy-six rockets there have to fire in weird directions. All about that. Because you were mentioning this tension between the scientists and engineers. One of my last two questions was, who do you like better, scientists or engineers? 
You asked the rover this. I asked this of the rover. Oh, and, and, and what did she say? Yeah, it's a she. It's a she, actually. Sure it is. <laughs> Scientists have to build a lady and send it to Mars. <laughs> That's how they fall in love. <laughs> uh, she said she would not pick between the two that they are both important to her she life. She loves us both. She loves us both, yes. So it worked. It landed. Nothing went wrong? Almost nothing went wrong. What went wrong? Well, helicopter crashed into the wall. No, it, it actually Martian. was... <laughs> it was remarkably free of glitches. Actually, um, I did... My very last question to Curiosity, which is her name, was... That's such what? a stripper name. <laughs> <laughs> She sounds very curious. What's your favorite? <laughs> so, so I asked her. Curiosity. So I said, <laughs> I said, you typed to her. You didn't ask I have her. an eight-year-old son named Josh. He's my world. Do you want to have a party? Do I see So, so I said, suppose I a Martian that. crawls out from under a rock, mm-hmm. climbs on your back, and rides you like a rodeo bull. <laughs> she said, that was not in my briefings. Well, it's funny. We wouldn't actually know if there was life on Mars if it was just hiding up behind the camera right there on top of the rover. It would but, have to be completely moving behind the camera. So there might be a practical Joker Martian riding around <laughs> being like, humans, no, no, I'm here. Humans, no. Could be. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. I last count, it was like 10 experiments on this thing. What's your favorite among them? Well, I'm a little bit partial because I'm part of one of the instrument teams. I help propose and design and... So by partial, you mean you're biased? I'm biased. Okay, so which one is... I mean, the obvious thing to say is the cameras, because the cameras are so cool, because we all want to see, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and part of it's just sightseeing. But our instrument is called RAD, and it is RAD. It's the Radiation Assessment Detector, and we are measuring for the first time... Is that what RAD stands for? It is what it stands for. I invented that 10 years ago, sorry to tell you. Uh, No, we're measuring how much radiation there is on the surface of Mars, which has never been measured before, and it's one of the things that would possibly kill you and possibly kill Martian bugs. So we want to characterize it and see what it's doing in the soil and in the atmosphere and so So forth. So that's not measuring anything about Mars itself. It's just stuff that's coming to Mars. Well, but it's doing stuff to Mars. When you say Martian bugs... (laughs) Oh, you don't know about that? I'm not saying there aren't Martian bugs. I'm just saying, are there Martian bugs? Well... And then also, are they attacking us? Well... (laughs) That was a slip. There are no Martian bugs. No, there aren't, aren't there like, there? isn't there like microscopic life of some kind? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. But the rad detector would tell you whether the radiation flux would sterilize the surface and kill all bugs. Exactly. Probably if there's bugs, microbes, whatever, on Mars, they're underground because on the surface there's no water, there's ultraviolet, it's freezing, it's that's nasty. terrible. But underground... There might be water, it's a little more reasonable temperature, and you're shielded from the radiation. But what we're trying to figure out is how deep do you have to be if you're a Martian bug? What's happening to the radiation? And the thing to do is to measure it at the surface. And then you Oh, so if it's very it heavy on the surface, you've got to go a little deeper to get the and, bugs. Yeah. And did you guys how deep already is your have... bug? Sorry. <laughs> how deep is, how deep is just your bug? You know what? This is really awkward. I just realized now that we weren't talking about the Mars candy bar. <laughs> 
I'll send the memo earlier next time. Have you already Thanks. figured out the radiation? Do you have the answer? And you're just not telling us because you're a big jerk? Essentially, yes. We have data, but we haven't released it yet. But it's not just because we're jerks. It's because we're trying to figure out if it's right. And there's some tricky things, like we mentioned this nuclear power source that puts out a lot of radiation. So we have to make sure we're not just measuring that. Wait, wait. And so you have yeah, a nuclear power plant on the rover? It's not a power plant. It's a power source. Whoa. <laughs> You know, my favorite moment in any day is when Neil is wrong about something scientific. <laughs> it's just literally a joy to see his mustache get angry. Okay, no. so... No, we're, we're touchy about this, because when you use the nuclear word, people get sometimes upset. I wouldn't have any idea why. It's one of the two verboten N-words out That's there. That's right. Yes, yes. So when we use that N-word, we try to speak carefully. And it's not like a nuclear power plant with the cooling towers and the turbines and all that. It's a bunch of plutonium that's given off heat, and we use that to generate electricity. So you found another thing to call it to not spook people when yeah. it's launched. We call it the not scary big power thing. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's one of those good, safe nuclear power plants. <laughs> Power source. Yeah. But you wouldn't put it in the drinking water of humans. <laughs> well, no. But Martians would. <laughs> Why do you need nukes? Did other landers have nukes? I don't think so. No. Well, the thing is, this lander has more than 10 times as much scientific instrumentation than anything we've sent. So it needs more Mars. power. Needs more power, as Kirk would say to Scotty, I need more power. And it can run at night, it can run in any season, and it should be Well, the other run. ones had solar panels they can only run in the daytime. You have solar panels, couldn't you charge a battery and keep working at night? To some degree you can, but in the Martian winter, the amount of power goes down if your solar panels get covered with dust. So the Martian winter, the sun to, is very low in the sky. Yeah, well, one of them did die because of the winter. because it One got, of the two rovers. Yeah, if the power goes down enough so that you can't run the heaters at night, then you die. That already happened to one of our previous rovers. So if you want to do a lot of science, you want a lot of power, a lot of instrumentation, you want to last a long time and be able to rove anywhere on Mars. Send nukes. Exactly. That's what exactly what happened yeah. there. Okay. Now, here's one of the experiments I happen to like the name of, the Alpha Proton X-ray Spectrometer. you got to love the sound of that. That sounds like something, you know, in Batman's utility belt. Yeah. It sounds like something to get you pregnant. <laughs> it sounds like 70s version of the future speak. Yes. Not the Alpha Proton X-ray Spectrometer. Why, yes. Batman. <laughs> so, what does that do for us? With the Alpha Proton X-ray Spectrometer... You must get so we much... Have, we have oh. a little... Oh, 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 yeah. oh my yeah. God. Last night, Eugene told me not to swear, and then I was joking, and I was like, can I say... You get yeah. so much pudding and from... And then I completely yeah. just true. forgot and did yeah. it. No, you, you get a lot almost. of pudding because you can go up to any rock and go, hey, babe. You zap it with x-rays, and you look at the pattern of what comes back, and it tells you what the minerals are made out of, what's in that rock, how much iron it is. It's a way of basically probing the... Rocks. <laughs> Not to get too scientific with you, yeah. but it sounds like it's a way of probing well, rocks for the minerals yeah, well, inside them. Wait. We want to know what the rocks are made out of because we want to know what the story is How about have sex the, with them. the history of that place. Well, that's a way to break the ice, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, and it landed where on Mars? Because there's a lot of places to go. You pre-picked a spot. Yeah, we landed in a place called Gale Crater. I've been there. <laughs> it's nice. He does score a lot. It's nice. Yeah. I actually named it after a friend of mine, Gale. Gale. <laughs> it's not funny, she's dead. <laughs> 
killed by a Martian, I might add. <laughs> yeah. It's by far the coolest place we've ever landed on Mars because... <laughs> Because Mr. Universe has been there. I've been some cooler places. So so back me up here. It's a cool place, right? Because it's an ancient crater that used to be a lake and has all these sediments in it that tell us about the ancient past on Mars. And it's got a five-kilometer, that's three miles for you Americans, three-mile-high mountain in the middle of it that we're going to climb up. And it's like going up the Grand Canyon on Mars. Every layer is from a different time in Martian history. It's going to tell us the whole story. So it's not just a mountain that lifted up surface material. It has laid bare its layers. Well, it looks that way. It looked that way from orbit, and now we're seeing it in the distance as we start to approach it. And it's like Utah. It's just all these layers and canyons and juicy stuff. A lot of Mormons (laughs) on Mars. (laughs) Vote for whoever you want. If I have my way, next summer there's going to be a Hilton in that crater. (laughs) All right, so you've got this crater. What's the diameter of the crater? It's about a couple hundred kilometers across. It's a big crater. So like a huge stadium-sized. Yeah. Okay, but it's big for a rover, but... Very huge. Very huge stadium. Are you comparing something as hundreds of kilometers to a stadium for some reason? Oh, no, no, sorry. I'm thinking hundreds of meters. Sorry. You said hundreds of kilometers. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Is it as nice as the metal ones? So it's the size of like 9 million Keystone Arenas. (laughs) It's a a big crater. I was off by a thousand, all right? Yeah. Who is it? Happens all the time. It happens all the time. All right, so you go 100 million miles to Mars and land in a crater that's, you know, 100 miles across. That's a really good hole in one. Yeah, not only that, we actually landed in a, a landing ellipse, which is the area that you shoot for that was only about 15 miles across. And that's a first that we've been able to control our landing to that extent with that crazy cockamamie so, landing system. So that's what system. the engineers did for you. Exactly. Otherwise, an airbag would just bounce its way out of the crater and it would be no good to you. But that's why we are able to land in a much more interesting place than we ever landed before, because before you needed a landing ellipse. So we've actually picked the most boring places on Mars to land before because you want to be safe. So you pick somewhere really flat. But you want to go to the mountains, the canyons, the craters, but we haven't dared do that before. Now you've got to go to that little flat area between the mountain exactly. and the valley. And this is the first time we ever do that. And so now we can see these mountains in the distance and we're going to get to them. We've never been to a place like that on Mars How many before. times have we landed on Mars before? Oh, let's see. Successfully or? <laughs> We've tried. I believe in my, the, yes. Let's see. <laughs> no, how many times have we sent the thing and it just hit the sun? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we've had, what, five successful landings before? Two Vikings, two two Murs. No, wait. Two Vikings, Sojourner, Sojourner. Phoenix, Phoenix, two Murs. Two Murs, seven. So far you're just naming comic book characters. (laughs) Yeah. So this is number seven, but we've had as many attempts, and the Russians had dozens of attempts that went... They have a failed government. Well, but they they did better at Venus. It's all Putin's fault. They did better at Venus. Yeah. Russians are from Venus, Americans from Mars. Don't go getting all venereal on me yet. That's the technical scientific name. Yeah, yeah. Pervs. <laughs> so what's the warranty on Curiosity Rover? Well, you know, we've been pretty unreliable with our warranties before, but this one's supposed to last two years. Two years? I mean, we've been unreliable in that they usually last longer. So uh, the engineers really did it on purpose, so you genuflect in front of them. Next yeah, well, the MERS, the last rovers, were supposed MERS to last 90 days. Mer- Mars Exploration Rovers. The last two rovers were supposed to last 90 days, one of them still going eight years later. Now, these are supposed to last two years, but the power source will last more than 10, and so we don't want to get overconfident, but potentially we could be there a long time.
Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Let's go down the list of the cool things that Mars has in common with Earth. What's the top of your list? I have my list too. We'll compare them. What's the top of your list? Shouldn't we what start Mars with Jim? Jim. Well, um, <laughs> they just, uh, one of my favorite parts of Mars is they yeah. just put a Shake Shack in there. <laughs> and I would the say. line, there's no line. <laughs> yeah. It's like you just, whenever you want to go, you're like, all right, I'm going to go now. <laughs> It takes two and a half years to get there, but there yeah. are no lines. There's no line. They have like a camera set up. You could check it online and see yeah. if there's going to be no line. We order it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have to say the coolest thing is the riverbeds. They're dried up, but they speak to us of flowing water. Which they meander. So there was water on Mars. Yes. There was well, how do you know water. it's water and not like liquid ammonia? Well, at one point when we just had pictures from orbit, People said, well, they look a lot like rivers, but could it be ammonia? Could it be liquid CO2? You sure Whatever. it's not Diet but... Dr. Pepper? You sure? <laughs> yeah, well, Wait, it, could this it be could like been. a post-apocalyptic state where there was life? Well, this guy Percival Lowell, that's basically what he said a hundred years ago, so you should talk so to him. So basically, but... we're equal. Yeah. You, well, you yeah. know, but Sarah really reminds me of this I guy Percival Lowell. Some, yeah, we no, I mean, from the... that was a theory that Mars was sort of a dying <laughs> civilization, and that's where the rivers came from. But people thought, well, how do you know it's water? But now that we've been there with these other rovers, that was the main finding, the exciting thing. We found rocks on the surface, minerals that are only made by flowing water. So we've kind of nailed that one with the last rovers. I thought it was only made by standing water. Yes. Well, we found signs of standing and flowing because there's ripple marks. So, no, you can make yeah. minerals out of flowing water? Standing water. <laughs> right, standing water. Okay. Watching yeah, yeah. you but, two talk makes me feel but, so dumb. No! <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. but... The, but the, See, I thought you were going to say that it makes you feel... Alive. Yeah. Oh, alive. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. No, we found this stuff called jarosite. These sulfur minerals. There's no way to make them. We don't know of any way to make them other than, than sort of precipitating out of water. Oh, I actually teach so. like an adult ed class on how to make minerals out of... Uh, <laughs> in a he different knows. ways. But yeah. whatever, not a big deal. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> so I like the polar ice caps. You got to love the ice cap. We got ice caps. They got ice caps. Mars rotates in 24 hours. We rotate in 24 hours, right? Well, actually, not quite 24 hours. What's the exact well, rotation? Well, Mars is slightly slower. It's like a half an hour longer in the day, which is strange. So the people studying Mars, are they on Earth time or on Mars time? They're on Mars time. I actually was out there last week. Out at, where? At JPL. On Mars? Well, I'm not on Mars. Well, okay. I was, I was at the Jet, more for the, the, in Mars, the Jet Propulsion you know Laboratory in Pasadena, where we're running the rover from. And the day is on Mars time, which changes 
compared to California time, and it's really an odd experience. Wait, Mars time isn't the same as California time? <laughs> well, sometimes it is. But it sweeps past. It, four it, hours out it of the day. It slows down by half an hour a day, which is convenient if you're stuck in traffic. But actually, it's very weird because it gets to the point where it's completely the opposite. And it's fine if you're, you know, a grad student or whatever, and you're just doing that. But if you have a family or whatever, it leads to, like, divorces and psychosis and, you know, bad things. So how many Mars divorces has there been? I can't give you a precise number on that. <laughs> but, I but I can tell you it's not zero. Okay. But, but it's about a 24-hour day. And Mars is tipped on its axis, about the same degrees that we're tipped on our axis. So Mars has seasons. That is the cause of the seasons, by the way. It's not because we get closer to the sun or farther. I'm just saying. Okay. Wow. Can... Uh, no, I, I didn't know it offhand, but... <laughs> But no, I didn't know how much he thought they didn't know it. Right, right, right. So you can think this through, because you knew that the Southern Hemisphere has opposite seasons to us. And if Earth were closer to the sun one time of year than another, if that's what made summer, then all of Earth would have summer at the same time, and we don't. So our distance to the sun can have nothing to do with the origin It's all about of the, the axis. But, but on Mars, distance to the sun changes the season because Mars has a non-circular orbit. And southern summer on Mars is a lot hotter than northern summer because Mars is weird in that way. So it's, it's, it's a combination of the two on Mars. Why don't you guys just... Oh. <laughs> do you mind? <laughs> there, I forgot. Do you mind? We're talking. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So one thing, Sarah, you had mentioned your resonance with Percival Lowell. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he thought he saw canals on Mars. That's the famous Martian canals. But wait, let me ask what will probably be... Well, no, there's no... But oh, let's not judge it before it happens. Needs more we'll translate that sentence later. go. Yes. He said there's polar caps. Yeah, ice but caps. But with no water? Yeah, yeah, what? Well, yeah, where's the water? Yeah, land well, or dry? well, we we used to think back in the days of your buddy Percival, we used to think the polar caps were water, <laughs> which is kind of makes sense because that's what polar caps are made out of. But turns out Mars is really cold and they're dry ice. It's frozen CO2. There's a little yeah. bit of water there, but it's mostly dry ice. There's dry ice. You so could have like a pretty cool party. <laughs> exactly, you could. Okay, so so the Phoenix lander went to the ice caps, right? It went pretty close. So we had one lander that we actually sent right up to the edge and found ice in the soil, which was really cool. Water ice in the soil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is you water ice. You don't go to the ice cap of... and say, oh, we found ice cap. I yeah, mean, yeah. That's what... Wait, is there still water on Mars? There's frozen water just underneath the soil in the high latitude But places. no regular water? There may Watery water, be... wetty water. There may be... <laughs> be scientific. There Liquid may be... water. Can I get a club soda there? Ooh! Hey, I a club soda! Wait, wait, Jim, if you have the water and you have the <laughs> CO2, so right. yeah. you can make club soda. You could. Yeah. Jim is right. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Now can I be on NPR? <laughs> I mean, the Mars caps shrink and grow depending on winter or summer. Yeah, they shrink and grow, and there's a whole history there of climate change on Mars in the layers in the caps. So by trying to investigate that stratigraphy, we can learn about the long-term climate history. And just getting to that water ice was hey, a Hey, when you deal. say stratigraphy... <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Layers. I mean layers. 
But it sounds more sciencey if I say stratigraphy. No one is denying that. Can, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you something? Uh, Mars is red. How do we know that's not all blood? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. Wait, wait, wait. Let me take this one. Yeah. Go for it. Jim? <laughs> Mars is red. Right. For the same reason your blood is. Right. Because yeah, it's, it's American. It's, it's American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rust, essentially. Your blood is red because it's like oxidized iron. Yeah, hemoglobin, heme, heme group is I'm iron oxide. I'm not going to be tested on Same thing as on Mars, yeah. Can I ask you about another route? Like, why is... Cosmology and cosmetology. What do they share? <laughs> it's the same thing. It's, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> no, the no, only difference that, is one uses makeup and the other concerns itself with the origin of the universe. Yeah. But otherwise, it's the same. Yeah. And which is which again? <laughs> so now, how come they always couch the mission statement in ways that where they're not actually saying, we're looking for life? We're gonna look for water that could be like, we're looking for minerals that could tell you if there's water that, why all the subterfuge? Because we don't know how to look for life. We tried that once and we realized we didn't know what we were doing. Wait, wait, what do no. you mean, how do we try it? Well, we had a mission called Viking, our first ever lander on 1976. Mars. 1976. Yeah, and did all these experiments. It's and America's. They were all like emails. And and no, like, why is no one responding? <laughs> The experiments worked, and then afterwards we said, well, we still don't really know if we found life because we didn't even know what questions to ask. And then we realized decades later, well, we got to go back and do this a little more slowly and try to understand the history of Mars and what kind of life there might be. Could even... it be that you cannot ask what something is if you only have one example of it? Yeah, that's a big problem with astrobiology. You cannot characterize life if, as much as biologists celebrate what they call biodiversity at the end of the day, all life has common DNA and common origin. You are dealing with a sample of one. And when you have a sample of one, you don't really have a science, do you? No, you've hit on a problem. Yeah! <laughs> That's what I would have said myself, really. This is, this is a major problem for astrobiology. So We're studying life... something, we have one example. How scientific is that? Yeah, how is do you it... define what life Wait, is if you only have one example? Isn't there like a, some silicon-based thingamajig in a pond somewhere in California or something like that? Yeah, I saw that episode. <laughs> I know that what I said was vague, but... Uh... <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Where there was like one thing that was found that had like a different... Oh, you're talking about the arsenic-based life. Yeah. yeah, sorry, arsenic. Yeah, yeah. No, that was really... Arsenic-based life. That was really hyped and possibly interesting, <laughs> probably wrong, but it wasn't another kind of life. That stuff was still carbon-based. It just maybe had a different kind of DNA. Mm. So... <laughs> I tried. No. You get partial credit for... You can only learn so yeah. much from USA we Today. <laughs> no, that's fair. Actually, that's if fair. I may elaborate on that example, though... The reason why that arsenic result, if it had really been shown to be true, was so interesting is that in life, phosphorus is fundamental to what, your metabolism or other functions within what it is to be alive as we know it. It's in okay. every molecule of DNA in your body. I'd count that as important, right. <laughs> now, arsenic kills us, all right? Why does arsenic kill us? 
because it sits exactly below phosphorus on the periodic table. And if you are in a line on the periodic table, you have the same number of electrons in your outer orbit, which means you combine in the same way and make the same damn molecules. Your body cannot tell the difference between phosphorus and arsenic because this has the same valence electrons. <laughs> arsenic comes in, your body didn't tell the difference, you end up dead. So if you have a microbe that can uptake arsenic just as happily as it uptakes phosphorus, then you have widened the net for what you would use to search for life in the cosmos. Yeah. Have yeah. you not? No, you have. The funny thing is, it's probably wrong because arsenic is really unstable on Earth. Arsenic DNA would just fall apart. But accidentally, they may have found something that would work on Titan. The moon of Saturn. The moon of Saturn, where it's way too cold for our kind of DNA, but arsenic DNA, it turns out, is stable on Titan. Remember back in the 70s, was it the Viking orbiter that took a picture and there was a face on Mars? Do you remember that? It was like had eyes and a nose and a mouth. So what's up with that? Well, it definitely looks like a face from a certain angle with a certain blurriness to the picture. So it looks like a simian face. Yeah, yeah. yeah it looks yeah. like a human face. And of course, our brains are designed to recognize faces. So people went, hey, there's something up here. So if we were jellyfish, we would have not noticed it at all. Probably not, but if we would have, probably would have seen there's a lot of other features on Mars that do look like jellyfish, uh, I'm but sure. But if we were a goat, would we then have noticed it? <laughs> Quite possibly. Uh, it took me about a week to do that face. And, um, <laughs> While you were there. Yeah, I was... While you were waiting like, in line at the Shake I was actually waiting for a phone call from Neil. <laughs> and I started just uh, doodling. <laughs> so we went back with another spacecraft and took more close-up photographs. And there was actually a big debate, should NASA go back and shoot the face? Because I thought, well, is that giving credence to... But of course we should go look at it. And uh, Wait, wait, just to be clear. Yeah. The face was not just a finger painting in the surface. It was oh, a... Topography. It was, it was a topological yeah, yeah. structure. Like a... Like mountains. Like, like a mountainous structure. It was huge, right? A huge structure. Yeah, that yeah. Had like eye sockets, nose, and a mouth at that particular yeah, it, angle. It, it would take you a good day to hike up the face. So That's probably the first time that sentence has ever been uttered yeah. in the history of the world. It would take you a good day to hike up the face. Yeah, That's a cool sentence. I love well, that. Well, what's funny is so we, we went back, we photographed in more detail with better angles, and guess what? It's a big eroded mountain. That's because the Martians covered it up. Once they learned we were... Well, see, the conspiracy theorists, that's what they said. They said, NASA blew up the face. George Bush knew that face was going to happen, <laughs> or and he did nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, NASA blew up the face. NASA faked the pictures. George Bush yeah. did it. If you really want to believe there's a face, then no amount of data is going to convince you. Otherwise, you just interpret it in, yeah. in your own way. But actually, Jim Garvin, who used to be the, the chief Mars scientist at NASA, he did make a hiking map for the face in instructions which included bring plenty of oxygen. So with this face, you take higher resolution images and at other angles, and it didn't look like a face. So the only thing that looks like a face at all solar angles is a face. So it required just special angling to make that happen. 
All right, so did you convince the... Oh, no, no, no. You know, you can Google face on Mars and you'll find lots of websites of true believers who, you know, it just deepens what the conspiracy. What do they believe? Someone, like, made a face mountain? A mountain face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, you don't that, get to take so many pictures on Earth of things and go like, no, I see an elephant. It's oh my a, God, that cloud looks like a Led Zeppelin. Exactly. Like, what the hell does yeah. that prove? It's Zeppelin a message. It's a message. Floaty. It's a oh, message to us from Those people are exhausting. Somebody. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, but they're amusing sometimes. So you've got these other features. There's Valus Marineris, which is Latin for what? Valley, Valley of, the, of the Mariners. How, how big, yeah, how big is it? Mariner Valley. It's ridiculously big. It's about as long as the continental John United Hambig? States is wise. Yeah. You could take our Grand Canyon and put it in there sideways across it, and it would fit. Wait, wait. You're saying you could take our entire Grand Canyon... Yeah, put it in sideways. Put it in sideways and it would fit in a, yeah. as, as like a bridge across it. Exactly. And it's got... Olympus Mons, that's Latin for Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus. It's a volcano. Yeah, it's a volcano. It's the biggest mountain in the solar system. It's about three times as high as Mount Everest. It's massive. But if you were on the edge of it, it wouldn't even barely know you were on a slope. It's very that's how large it is. sloping. Yeah, it's massive. It's a big Mons. Yeah, big Mons. Olympus, it's a Mons. <laughs> so in like a geologic feature smackdown, we would lose to Mars big time. It depends. If you're just into size, then absolutely. Mars has bigger volcanoes, bigger canyons. <laughs> But they're old. But we have like we have puppies. But we, <laughs> yeah, but their volcanoes are just sitting there. They're not erupting. They haven't erupted in. You know, we're of smaller, but we try years. harder. We had know? Knight Rider. Yeah. We have so many things they never had. Absolutely. <laughs> we have Jack Nicholson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had the remake of Knight Rider. <laughs> not great, but we had it. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know what kind of movies they have on Mars. We haven't explored that much. There's probably a place with a bunch of old VHS tapes there. They're probably covered in blood. <laughs> Splatter films. You can't get off the blood thing here. So, water was once on Mars. How long ago? You got your dried riverbeds, your layers. How long ago? Billions and billions of years he ago. He didn't say it right. The yeah. chin has to come out. Yeah. I want to hear the whole audience on three. Chin out. One, two, three. Billions and billions. Yeah. See, take some lessons from Brooklyn here. All right. Yeah. So we know it's been a long time because Mars is covered with craters, and it tells us it's an ancient surface. And you can tell how old the rivers are because they're covered with craters too. And there are no young surfaces with rivers. So it was a long time ago. It was when Mars was a young baby planet. It was a more Earth-like place. The atmosphere escaped. The water's gone, and it hasn't been there for a long time. 1850, like you're saying before that, or... (laughs) So, all right, so Mars was once wet and presumably fertile. <laughs> easy, I, well, I, easy. I, I, Let's I, keep I, it clean, all right? <laughs> I said that Sexy once to John Stewart, delicious. and he says, why is it that when you talk about the universe, I get horny? <laughs> <laughs> when Star Talk Live comes back, we're going to talk about Destinations elsewhere in the solar system beyond Mars. Star Talk Live, Bellhouse! You're listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment. Welcome back to Star Talk. You've been listening to one of our classic episodes. I'm Dr. Funky Spoon, 
astrobiologist David Grinspoon. And now I'm back. I'm calling into the studio from my home to give you a little bit more. And I'm with my co-host, Chuck Nice. Chuck, thanks for joining us for this. Of course, Dr. Funky Spoon. How have you been, man? I've been great. How are you doing? Um, you know, I'm all right. Just uh, trying to keep the dream from becoming a nightmare. You know what I'm saying, Dave? That's well, all. It's great to see you. You're looking very cosmic, I have to say. Well, that, that, yes, yes. That is... Uh, what is that in the background? What 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 galaxy? I don't I can't tell what gal like Neil would be able to look at this and be like that's you know whatever whatever I think, that, I think that's one of ours. Is that one of ours? Okay, yes. cool. I'll I'll believe you because you know you're you're an actual doctor. <laughs> so, it's good to see you though, man. And and good to be on and continue to Yeah. Now yeah. what are you up what are you up to now? I know you got a new job. That, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, now. I'm a, a senior scientist at a place called uh, Planetary Science Institute, uh, which is a really uh, wonderful uh, place with a, a lot of people doing interesting work all around the solar system. Um, and although we're all located on Earth, we're we're studying places all around the solar system. And um, I've actually just finished up a book, and uh, the book is called Earth in Human Hands. Earth? And it's basically on this topic of, uh, of how the, do we, the impact uh, of human how do we beings. think of ourselves right. as planetary beings? Yeah, you know, and it's, I mean, I'm so happy you wrote the book because, quite frankly, I think that that type of perspective is what is necessary to change and drive um, our political direction globally. Because I think that a lot of people don't understand that it is... You know, it's not just science, it's science and politics that drives the behavior of human beings with respect to how we treat the globe. And, you know, without altering our political views about the place we live, this little spaceship that we're on, we're never going to alter our behavior and how we treat this planet. And right now we're not doing a very good job. So that's pretty awesome. So what what is the focus of the book, David? Well, uh, it, it's very much what, what you were just saying. It's, it's about, uh, you know, how we need to think about these problems. I don't really get into politics as far as specific uh, recommendations on policy, but it's all about how we need to think about these, these, these questions. And, and what I try to do is situate us, humanity, in sort of deep space and deep time. Uh, and then what is happening to Earth now as a result of of human actions, uh, what, what we sometimes call that we're calling now the Anthropocene epoch. How does that fit into the big story of Earth? And what kind of change is happening? There's something unprecedented happening on Earth now. Uh, and if we if we look at the whole story of Earth, I think we can in some ways see ourselves more clearly and achieve that long-term time scale mm -hmm. that we need to have in order to do a good job managing this planet. So, so it's not so, do me so a much favor. about policy. I'm, I'm talking about perspective. I'm trying to promote right. a planetary perspective on how we deal with the problems that we've created for ourselves here. And, you know, that's, that's what I meant when I said politics, more of the, the perspective that we have that shapes the politics that we actually uh, enact. But uh, go back a little bit for me, man, and talk to me about the... Uh, Anthropocene uh, epoch is that it? Because yeah, well, so, uh, I mean, you so, said that like 
you said that like you were saying Tuesday afternoon. You know, yeah. This book is about last Earth, Tuesday afternoon, better known as the Anthropocene Epoch. But tell yeah, me about well, that. You know, from from the Earth's perspective, it is kind of like Tuesday afternoon. It's just another blip in Earth time. But you know, we have this. You've seen this geological time scale with all these different layers. Uh, of rock that we give different names to and that represent different times going into the past. And right. you've heard about, you know, the Jurassic and the Triassic and all that. And, right. and the epoch that we're in now has been something that we've called the Holocene, which has been 12,000 years, basically, or, or, or a little less, uh, since the last Ice Age. Ah. And the proposal is that we're in a new phase of geological history called the Anthropocene, which is characterized by a but, new geological force which changing is man. the Earth. And that new geological force is us. Right, yeah. It's, uh, hence the anthro, which is, uh, but that's, that's pretty fascinating. That is a very, very small period of time, uh, Dr. Funky Spoon, to have such a great impact on the change. So are you saying that in that 12,000 year period that our presence has been enough to alter uh, the the future of this planet in that short short period of time. Because normally, when you look at these when you look at these ages, when you when you look at these um, you know these periods, uh, they're pretty damn long. You know, they seem to last for significant uh, sums of time. And when you're talking about twelve thousand years, you're talking about, I mean. It literally is a blink. That's a blink. So uh, do we really have that kind of power and impact? Well, it's a great question. One thing you can definitely say is we've already left our mark. We've already done things to the earth that will be recognizable by anybody, uh, you know, digging up the rocks from our time, even millions of years in the future. The way we've changed the atmosphere and changed the climate, we've changed the, the, the nature of the surfaces of the planet. We've mm. We've altered the hydrological cycle in this huge way. There's five times as much water in reservoirs and behind dams now than, than is in all the natural streams of earth and rivers. So we've, we've altered these major physical uh, pro properties of our planet. Now, is that going to last for a geological significant amount of time? Well, our signature will last. You know, the, 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 the trash we've left, if you will, the, right. the mark we've left. Even if we all went away tomorrow and the effect on the climate would last for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm. Now, will our society uh, or, or something that we create out of it last for geological, geologically significant times? That is a really interesting question. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of it hinges on what happens in the next couple of centuries if we yeah. figure out how to do this. Uh, this thing we're trying to do, which is have a civilization with the technological power to change the planet mm -hmm. that could do us in, or it could allow us to survive for a long time. There are ways we could use that technology that, that would allow us to stick around. So we're, we're at an interesting branching point, I would say, where mm -hmm. we could, we could uh, th this could be the beginning of a long-term change in the earth where, where cognitive processes, tech, technological life becomes an influence for a long period of time, right. or this could be just, you know, a, a burst of, uh, of cleverness that then writes its own epitaph, you know, so uh, the future is unwritten, uh, right. you know, there's no fate but what we make, but... Uh, so we, 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 uh, we, we could go one of two ways. We could either be like Jay-Z, brilliant 
and have longevity or Kanye. Uh, flash of brilliance and then just blow yourself up. <laughs> so now let me ask you this, because uh, uh, and this is what I want to know from an astrobiologist standpoint. So you talk about certain things uh, when it comes to human impact, like, okay, uh, climate change. Uh, when we look at the amount of methane and the amount of carbon dioxide that we are releasing into our atmosphere and the parts per million are, you know, just way too much. And of course, that's going to have an effect. Juxtapose that against the amount of plastic and pollution that we are dumping into the ocean. Which one of those two things will have a more long-lasting because uh, I know the climate change will be more immediate, but which one will be more long-lasting in terms of violating our ecosystem uh, when you when you think about it? Well, they're, they're, uh, it's an interesting comparison. They're two different kinds of phenomena. Uh, you know, the plastic, physically, materially, plastic lasts a long time. Mm -hmm. And there are even rocks. There's a new class of rocks that's been um, identified and labeled plastiglomerates what which <laughs> plastiglomerates like plastic conglomerates wow and and they're they're rocks that are found on some islands where they've made bonfires where plastic has melted together with rock and then formed literally a new kind of rock that will those plastiglomerates will be in the geological record for you know, I don't know, millions, hundreds of millions of years into the future. Those are basically, you know, almost permanent features of Earth that people will dig up a long time from now, or, or not necessarily people, but whoever is investigating the Earth will say, there was a race at that time that made plastic. That is kind of permanent now. Wow. Wow. The, the climate change uh, is, if we stopped right now, with our emissions, our out of control emissions of CO2 and methane, there'd be a period of about 100,000 years or a few hundred thousand years, less than a million, where the Earth would draw that back down to equilibrium and the carbon, the natural carbon cycle of the Earth would regain control and climate would pull itself back to normal. So as far as the threat to uh, the well-being of the biosphere, I'm going to say that, that that climate is a bigger problem. Okay. Uh, you know, the plastic is something we have to deal with for sure, but it's not, you know, there's, and there's certain species that are being drastically affected by it. Seabirds on certain islands are having a really hard time with our, our garbage. But, uh, but as far as a global threat, it's really those gases you mentioned in the atmosphere that we have to pay the most attention to and sort of uh, regain control of ourselves so that the earth can uh, can kind of do what it does and cyclically take care of its own climate. Cool, man. Cool. Man, I wish we had more time to talk about this, you know, but 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 we are we're done. But we, we you know, it's always a pleasure, man, talking to you. I, I just love it. You know, uh, it's great to talk to you, Chuck. Always. You've been listening to Star Talk. I'm astrobiologist David Grinspoon with my co-host Chuck Nice. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>